Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Skewed and Reviewed Skewedcast. I'm Gareth, creator of Skewed and Reviewed, and I'm joined, as always, with our A-team of Justin, Michael, and Joseph. You can catch us online at sknr.net as we cover all things movies, games, television, pop culture, convention, travel, and much more. We have our quarterly magazine, Skewed and Reviewed the Magazine. We will have the next issue out at the very end of March because we have some uh, travel coverage that we're looking to add into it, as well as WonderCon, which is going online. So we're going to wait until that concludes and then add it into the issue because why wait until three months down the road when the news isn't so topical? Uh, you can catch me each week on BJ Shea's Geek Nation on KSWFM radio and syndicated throughout the Intercom Network. We do offer the simulcast on our page. And finally, go to Pinal, P-I-N-A-L, central.com, keyword skewed, and you will see the 12 newspapers we do game content for. Uh, we're syndicated and a uh, lot of stuff out there. So today uh, we have a little bit of everything, some pop culture news, some convention news, so on and so forth. I did want to open really quick with some um News about some new products. You have a lot of security issues right now. People are home longer uh, than ever. And of course, uh, if you're like us, you don't generally open the door. Well, I don't open the door for anyone. I just talk to people through the door and such. And that's where you're going to need uh, technology. And one uh, attractive option is from a company called Nui, N-O-O-I-E. They have a Nui Cam 360, which offers high definition picture as well as audio. And you can, of course, monitor it through your app. So if you're upstairs or away from home, somewhere like that, you get a notice that somebody is there. You can have a look through the camera. You can record it for security to keep porch pirates and stuff on us. And you can also um, capture the audio. Now, for those who need a lighting effect, Nui also has the Aurora smart LED multicolor bulbs. And this basically allows you to put a um, colored lighting arrangement around your property. Now, one thing that's pretty cool about these is with the holidays, you could, of course, use a color for Halloween. You could have them change color for Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever you're celebrating, that sort of thing. And it also gives a little bit of color and variation. So those are things that you want to check out, and they are very affordable. All right, guys, so this week we had the Outriders demo arrive from Square Enix. This is their big um, adventure game that they have coming. And surprisingly, it was pretty detailed in that it offered uh, a lot of gameplay. It offered co-op um, options as well as solo options and allowed you to go up through essentially the first boss of the game. Now, I know I've played it. Uh, we'll start with Joseph, and uh, since he played it and did some of it with me, what was your impression or your impressions of it? I liked it. Um, I wasn't expecting a third-person game with the way it was being advertised. Um, there's a couple of frustrations that I do have with it. Like, I really, especially for a game like this, when you can't jump, it just doesn't make any sense for like, oh, you're this altered person with such great powers, but guess what? You can't lift both feet off the ground. Um, it's kind of lame. <laughs> uh, the only other thing I have issue with is the mouse acceleration. It's hard to deal with in the game. But overall, I had fun playing it once I kind of got past that walking around a little bit. Um, 
it was good. It uh, the gameplay was and it was uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It was uh, intriguing. The story's really good. I like how they set it up. And again, as much as they gave you of the demo, I think they have really learned from companies like Anthem or EA with Anthem and different things like that. And let's get a product out there to show them what we've got first before we expect them to start buying anything from us. But, I mean, I think they're going to have a good time with it. I don't know if it's going to necessarily be the net, the Destiny killer or, like, the Call of Duty, like, people just jumping ship and going over to it, but I think it's definitely going to have its own following. Yeah. And, uh, Michael, do you have anything that you wanted to add about it? And no, I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but it is one that I think is pretty interesting. I like the concept. I, I'm, you know, I'm always in for, you know, new co-op shooter type games and all in all i you know i'm excited to give it give it a go but i haven't had a chance to review it just yet and justin did you have an impression or a comment on it yeah i'm with michael i haven't also not had a chance to uh to play yet but um i am kind of a fan of people can fly i think they've made some good stuff in the past um and the game does look really intriguing kind of get a interesting setting and and world so i will be giving it a shot when uh when i can and the it, cool thing is they say that the demo is going to be available indefinitely, so basically up until the point when it comes out. And that is a good thing, too. And I think what's great about it is you can tell that there is a lot of um, potential in this. It's a very large um, universe. You can see that there's going to be a lot of potential to it. And I think, of course, the trick is going to be being receptive to what the community says. I, I know that there are people that are going to say, oh, well, geez, you know, when are all the paid cosmetics and when is all this going to come in? And that can be the, you know, point of a game that makes it very difficult. And I also look at it and say, uh, you know, the, there's always the key of balance because you look at that boss level that we went through, Joseph. I think we could agree that it was very clear for that stage of the game it was going to be exceptionally difficult borderline impossible for anybody to take that thing down solo uh without being able to get some very specialized gear you know i was just using uh you know salvaged gear and the best i could do was take it down halfway and it was only when the two of us went in there and it was still intense enough that we had to revive each other a couple of times and you know coordinate our attacks in order to get it done. So that becomes a, uh, a focal point. And I know Destiny had this issue as well as to there are times you can roll through it on your own, but you also run into scenarios where if you don't have some backup, it's going to be very difficult. So I think the key is going to be they've got to make sure there's a good matchmaking system online or that it's balanced enough that if you're playing solo, it scales the difficulty accordingly, just like a lot of these games. If you're going in with a four-person uh, group, the difficulty goes up. I mean, Borderlands 3 is a prime example that if you've got a full four-person squad, you see a lot more enemies on screen than you do if you're just going in on your own. So really intrigued, though, with what they've shown, and I think it definitely uh, bodes well for the future. So let's switch gears and talk about Sony. Uh, Sony talked about the uh, next generation of the PSVR, which is not coming out this year, but they did say that it is coming, that it would have a single connection. 
Uh, so the rumors of it being wireless were not accurate. They talked about new controllers that were better in keeping with the Move feature. And then, of course, uh, right after that, we had a state of play where, for me, the biggest name they announced was uh, another look at Deathloop. So uh, I know not everybody's had a chance to have a look at it yet, but does anybody want to discuss that? Uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm okay to start off uh, with this, because I did get a chance to review some of the stuff the State of the Play was announced, um, and the VR stuff, and I'll, I'll touch the VR stuff, I think, last. But one of the games that I thought, you know, I, I know a lot of people were kind of disappointed with State of Play, because it was featured more of the quote-unquote indie titles, and not so much, you know, new looks at the, the newer, um, you know, AAA-type titles coming out. But one of the couple that really stuck out to me was the Sifu game. I, I What I really like about that conceptually is they kind of talked about as you you know it's about you know your kung fu master getting revenge on your family being killed yada yada nothing nothing too exciting about the story but one of the interesting dynamics that they introduced was that every time your character dies he gets older and as he gets older um his strength and everything else is potentially going to be impacted and his ability to kind of do things so i thought that was a really neat concept now i don't know if you die if you die enough times your character can't come back um, or how that's going to work, but I really liked the idea. I thought conceptually that was pretty interesting. Also, the other one, uh, there's two other ones I'd like to talk about. Um, the Kina Bridge of Spirits um, game, that looks, the, the I don't know how the gameplay will be, but the looks of that is you know phenomenal. I know for years we'd always talked about how do you get games to a point where they, I'm not going to say rival something like Pixar, because again, that's something that's, uh, takes a lot more graphical computing power to render than something like even a PlayStation 5. But I will say the visuals looked amazing on that game. Again, coming from an indie studio, um, the, the type of, you know, the, the, the passion they put into that and how it makes it look, I think really will showcase some of the stuff that the PS5 can do um, from a graphical perspective. So I thought that looked really good. Uh, Knockout City, which is kind of their uh, dodgeball, um, multi, you, know, you know, multiplayer game, uh, I like the concept. It looked like it'll be a lot of, a lot of fun and interesting to pick up and play. Uh, so all in all, I thought it was, you know, for considering there wasn't anything revolutionary from a AAA perspective, I thought what they did reveal were some pretty interesting um, game titles. You know, some of these which are going to be available both on PS4 and PS5, which shows they're continuing to do some development work on PS4s, which I think is always a good thing. Uh, the one thing I was, I, I'm really interested about VR2 is going to be what the price point's going to be. Um, they're obviously not going to be hitting the, the high-end Valve Index uh, type of um, visuals and that sort of thing. Uh, but I think what they are going to be introducing, you know, one thing we talked about is the Move controllers, I think, are terrible um, for the PlayStation VR experience as it stands currently. Um, tracking is, is often, you know, kind of an issue with PSVR. Um, so it looks like they're going to be doing a lot of development work on that. And I, I think, honestly, the price point is going to come in about the cost of a PS5. I, I would expect the price point is going to be $500 or so. Uh, I don't think they're going to be able to put out anything uh, with any type of um, radical um, improvements that are going to be able to come in much under that price point. But we'll see. You know, I, I, think, uh, I think if they want to really do VR right, they have to put the they have to put the technology in it and I think if people really want a good VR experience they have to be willing to pony up the money to do so so it'll be interesting to see where that comes in with a price point um, how that's going to look overall from a, you know a, 
gaming experience and, and what kind of uh, release we have. So, yeah, a lot of interesting announcements, I think, from Sony this week. Um, look, looking forward to see kind of what else is out there. And does anybody else want to comment on that? Yeah, I will. Um, so I watched uh, a little bit of the state of play, um, and I, I'm going to agree with Michael. I, I did think Sifu looked really, really good. Um, the other one for me, I mean, I was a big fan of the the Final Fantasy VII game that came out last year, and um, it's kind of cool that they're uh, re-releasing it for PS5, you know, upgrading it with some bells and whistles and extra content and all that. But I think the, the bigger thing about it that I, I actually kind of liked was that... Um, it's a free upgrade. So if you own the game, um, literally you just, um, you just get the PS five version. Um, and, uh, you can transfer your save files and everything, which I think is a pretty, a pretty nice precedent. I think more companies should, should do this if they're doing an upgrade from, you know, a, a very recent, uh, current generation game to to the next gen. Well, I guess last gen to next gen. Um, isn't you know, there some caveats to that though? Like, I heard that if you have the PlayStation Plus version, you don't get the in the, what's it, integrity or in what's the new uh, in, integrate um, integrate. Yeah, I think you, you might be right. I don't I don't know. You're probably correct. I, I'm not 100 percent sure of like the, of the details. Um, you know, there, there's pro there probably are some caveats, um, but it is a, it is a better direction than some other companies have taken you know, with similar kind of, uh, situations like, you know, control control was an absolutely fantastic game, but, uh, the way that they kind of handled the, the upgrade from pre previous gen, next gen, I think was, was not, not very well received. Uh, um, but yeah, so, um, and then on to VR, you know, I think it's, it's good that, um, Sony is continuing to invest in this technology. Um, you know, I, I think, it continues to be the, the biggest problem for it is just the cost factor. Um, you know, I would totally get a valve index. It's just a little bit pricey, uh, for, for the amount of content that, that is exclusive to it. Um, but going forward, you know, I think Sony can kind of hit that, uh, sweet spot where, you know, it's, it's affordable. Um, but you know, then the other side of the equation is how much, you know, how much use can you actually get out of it? You know, how many games actually utilize this feature? So hopefully, you know, when they actually do end up showing this, probably, you know, I'm, I'm guessing we'll probably at least see it later this year. If it, it, you know, it's not coming out this year, but we might at least see it. Uh, if that's the case, you know, hopefully it's uh, not just the um, PSVR again. Hopefully they actually have improved it in some way. Yeah, that does seem to be a very interesting question. I think Michael brought up a great point in terms of what is the cost going to be, and I, I'm kind of going by um, the, pr the prior one. They basically locked it in right around the cost of the console last time around. Now, admittedly, that was the full bells and whistles with controllers, a game, the headset, uh, so on and so forth. And I think he brings up a valid point. You know, are they going to go $500? this time around because everything we've heard is that it's not just a headset you're going to need new controllers and things like that so that kind of is a good price point to be looking at i think we can agree it's probably going to be between 400 and 500 dollars and the mentality is essentially like when they rolled it out the first time this is the cost of a console you have a year to plan for it 
And as time went on, the cost came down, and I think they're kind of looking at it going, those who have a PS5, this will be your big investment for next year, and those who don't have a PS5, well, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they try to offer some kind of bundle uh, with all of it together. Who knows? But of course, it all comes down to the big factor, which is you've got to have quality VR titles to make this enticing. And uh, as we discussed on the radio show, I think this is Sony basically trying to kickstart more companies coming to the table by essentially saying, we're committed to VR, not just now, but for the long-term future, so much so that we're putting out a new platform. And I kind of look at it as companies like Valve. I I think this is very much a, let's get Half-Life Alex over to the PS5, uh, because that would be a massive feather in their cap if they can say, look, we've got uh, Half-Life Alex on the PS5 VR right there. Come come join the fun. Oh, yeah, and by the way, X, Y, and Z is coming out as well. So who knows? It will be very, very interesting to see. They have had a lot of success with the uh, Vader Immortal, which recently came to the PSVR, and there is a... Um, new Star Wars VR game out there right now. And then as Michael pointed out uh, in the past, you have Star Wars um, Squadrons that also has a VR component to it. So it'll be very interesting to see what the future holds for all of this. All right, guys, so moving ahead, we had uh, some news. Now, Joseph, I think you can take the lead on this one since you have already seen it, but we have Tom and Jerry that has been released in theaters were available. It is also available on HBO Max for a limited time. And I was uh, given some news the other day that current tracking shows that it may have a $14.5 million opening theatrically in the U.S. And while that isn't a massive number, it is the largest opening during the pandemic era, which beats the crude sequel so first off your impressions of the film and secondly do you think that this is maybe an indication that people are becoming a little more uh willing to go back to the theater and in turn studios may be more willing to release higher quality product again you know when i first sat down to watch it um or when i first heard about it i should say i didn't really have high expectations for the movie because Typically, when you incorporate live action with cartoons, it's not done very well. And um, I was also worried about where they were going with the story in terms of how these humans interact with them and what the relationships are and everything. But once I actually sat down and watched it, I realized that they kept pretty close to the shtick of the cartoon. You know, you're introduced to Tom and Jerry. They don't know each other at first. They're doing their normal gags Tom's in the park blind playing a piano and and trying to get money and Jerry comes along and shenanigans ensue and off they go and Jerry takes hiding in a hotel and the I think the supporting cast uh, is what really sells it um, it's it's a great movie for kids and with Michael Pena in there and a few others I think Michael Pena is one of the bigger attractions and to be honest i think that's why it has such a good box office presence especially from what i understand that the the majority of the moviegoers for this in the demographics ratings 
<clears throat> were Lat uh, Latinx uh, in terms of the reason they were saying is because with Tom and Jerry not speaking, it's a universal movie. And so you don't have to understand English or what they're saying, which I think was a good touch too, because if anybody saw the 1992 Tom and Jerry, when they were talking and singing and Richard Kine was the voice of Tom, I think that it was good that they finally, they took the, uh, the criticism of the fans and they took all of that out. So you're not going to see Tom and Jerry talking this time around. And I think that's what keeps the magic of it, especially for some of the younger kids. My, my kids weren't really interested in it at first because they're not really into the whole live action stuff yet. But the more it went on and the more you realize it's not just Tom and Jerry that are live action in the movie. Like this is a full on almost Roger Rabbit incorporation, but everybody just sees it and it's like it's normal. And like I said, with the cast with like Michael Pena and Chloe Grace Moritz and even um, Rob Delaney, Colin Jost. It's just there's I, I think there's a lot of good things about the movie and it's definitely aimed for kids. So if you go into it expecting anything else, you might not have a good time with it. But I do think it is a, a good trend starting to move forward. Um, the scary thing is with the new variants popped up, is it the right time to move the trend forward? <laughs> And that is a question for a much larger uh, day. Now, um, before I chime in my bit, Justin or Michael, do you have anything you wanted to add in? No, I have not had a chance to see it yet, but it is one that I do want to see. I, I, again, I, I, I don't have high expectations going into it, and I'm just looking for something enjoyable. So I think it's something that I would definitely um, look to go see. Yeah, so I... I have a comment, but it, it, I have to be very careful with this one because I'm under embargo on it until 10 o'clock tomorrow. But let's just say there is another major film coming that uh, I think will be well-received, but it also is doing the option of go to a theater or see it online. And this, of course, is going to set the pace for Godzilla vs. Kong, which is coming up in the not-too-distant future. One of the things that we've seen now is we've seen the simultaneous release with films like um, good films like um, The Little Things, Judas and the Black Messiah um, we've had Mulan offered uh, theatrically were available behind a paywall which um, when it rolled out for the majority of the country the paywall version was the only option because they couldn't do a theatrical and so now we're getting to that situation. Now, Godzilla vs. Kong, obviously people can watch it on HBO Max. Uh, as we look ahead further into the future, May with um, uh, Black Widow, things like that, it will be interesting to see because, you know, the goal was one million vaccinations a day. They cracked, they said they've been above that rate. They um, cracked over two million and change the other day. And then the news came down that Johnson & Johnson's one-dose vaccine has been approved, and it's going to be available as soon as next week. So now we have three vaccines in the United States available. Uh, they have said there'll be four million doses, boom, right there. And both Pfizer and Moderna have said they will have significantly uh, more vaccine available by the end of March. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely seeing a scenario where we go, what is the summer going to look like? 
but then, of course, variants. Uh, Moderna has already come out and said their vaccine does protect against the variants, but they have a new uh, formula which will fully protect against the African virus. Um, all future vaccines they put out are going to have that built in. And for those like me who've already had it, they are either going to give us a booster or they are going to give us, uh, they're looking at a potential very low dose third injection, which would cover it. So we're seeing progress. Um, it's, it'll be interesting to note. And I mention that because it segues into our next topic. Phoenix Fan Fusion, which uh, used to be um, all, always held in May before over Memorial Day weekend before the uh, pandemic that would get between 70 and 100,000 plus people over the long weekend in the greater Phoenix area, wasn't able to do their show last year. They pushed it back to September, wasn't able to make it happen. There's been a lot of uh, quietness about it. A lot of people have said, we haven't heard anything. Tickets aren't on sale. There's no guest announcements. They came out the other day and said, okay, this is what's going to happen. We're uh, not happening in May. We're going to push back to uh, early January over the long holiday weekend. So essentially for uh, Michael and I and uh, those who do take part in this from the company, we'll be hopefully swinging over to Vegas covering CES. We're going to come back and have about, I think it's two weeks uh, after CES before Phoenix Fan Fusion. So uh, start off with you, Michael, since you uh, go to it. What do you think about this? And do you think that this will cause potential problems in doing the show that they normally do? Not from a virus standpoint, let's think optimistically and say by then it's a safe environment uh, or uh, I, I'm looking at it just simply from the concept of doing a major show directly after the holidays in the wintertime versus doing it in the summertime. So a couple of things. You know, one is I think we were all pretty sure it was going to be delayed. Um, May was going to be way too optimistic. So I don't think there's a surprise there. I was kind of hoping for a September. But again, that there, I think there's going to be still too much up in the air about whether or not that would have been a viable time frame. So, yeah, I think, so there are a couple of things. One, in January for Arizona is fantastic because normally it's in May, uh, end of May. Um, so when people are, are cosplaying, it's hot, right? I mean, it's very hot. Um, you know, we're talking, uh, I think one year we were there, it was 110 out um, mm -hmm. in the afternoon. So, yeah, in the convention center, maybe not so bad. But for people who have to walk to the convention center, stand in line for cosplay purposes, January is fantastic, right? It will probably be in the 50s. Um, you know, for everybody who wants to cosplay, it'll probably be a great time. Um, I think from a, a travel perspective, it might be interesting, not so much from people here, getting here, but we do know that that tends to be a, a little difficult travel time due to weather um, in, in other areas. Now, I, I don't know how much, you know, convention traffic we get from the East Coast. I know a lot of it comes from the West Coast, California, that sort of thing, so that's not going to be an issue. Uh, and again, right after the holidays, potentially a problem, but I, I think for people who are looking to do these kinds of things, it might be a good opportunity to get out and, and explore it. So yeah, I think it's the timing is interesting. I don't think they wanted to go another whole year without doing one. I think at that point you start worrying about, you know, are people going to commit to it? You know, are, are too many other things going on? And I know people are anxious to go. So I think from a timing perspective, I think they wanted to get out there as soon as they could. 
Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I don't know what we're going to see um, as far as you know trends go, but I do think a the virus will likely be under control by then. All things going well, you know everybody has a chance to get a vaccination by then. Hopefully, we'll have had one. We'll have had a good year or so of the vaccine under everybody's belt, just to kind of see how things are progressing. So I think from that perspective, I think they're in a good place. Um, hopefully from a you know guest perspective, that's a good opportunity to get guests. Maybe that was another reason why they wanted to push it to January is maybe that did open up a lot of schedules for guests to get there. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm you know disappointed we're not gonna have one this year or you know in the fall. I, I think I would have preferred that to happen just because I think we're all getting a little anxious for it. But I do think that this is probably a safe time where they're not going to have to worry about rescheduling or, or you know, having any problems due to virus concerns by that point. So I, I think they did what they had to do. I think from a cosplay perspective, from an attendee perspective, um, we're not going to be out there sweltering and we'll get to enjoy the, the cooler weather. Um, so I think all in all, I think it'll be a really good time for that. I think from uh, you know, standing lines and, and that kind of thing, I think it'll be a better, better opportunity. And all in all, I think there'll be less risk for them uh, to go ahead and move forward with plans. So I think that they did what they had to do, and I'm looking forward to it for sure. And uh, Michael uh, brought up some fantastic points. Joseph or uh, Justin, did you want to chime in with something? Uh, yeah, I think I think it's smart. Um, you know, I, I think there there's a pretty high likelihood that by the time we get down around to January um that we can actually go back and you know start doing conventions and stuff um i think that is a, a pretty that's far enough out there that you know they're not going to have to continue to to delay it over and over again you know and i always thought it would you know it made more sense to to do an event like phoenix fan fusion around january um you know because may is when it starts to get pretty hot it, it's just it does um and um you know, January and February here are just like perfect, you know, for, for most people. Um, I think that that's a pretty smart move for a lot of reasons. So, um, you know, yeah, like, like Michael said, it's, it's unfortunate. It's not happening, you know, in this May, but, um, but you know, it, it's just still, still too close. I mean, it's, we're, we're very likely there's still going to be a lot of community spread around in May we are going in the right direction which is fantastic um you know across the board you know look at like just about any state it's going all going in the right direction which is really good but we're not out of the woods probably going to still be like this in may and potentially through the summer so um so yeah i think it's just it's smart to kind of set it out you know far out kind of like what they did and you know there's because there's a good chance that uh, things will be more normal then and uh, Joseph, did you have anything that you wanted to add in? Uh, not really. <laughs> My thought on this was obviously it was expected. I was very grateful that it wasn't directly on top of CES, which would have been an absolute nightmare for you and I, Michael. I could imagine having to, you know, rush out to CES, do some coverage, and then rush back to make my uh, panel and stuff like this. So this is a good thing. My only concern about this, and I know obviously I don't want this to sound like I'm bashing it because they've done what they had to do. My concern is the public's response. Now, uh, by that I mean let's look back to a few years ago when things were in a much better situation. They did a summer uh, 
show as they always did. But then they also had a holiday one for two years at the football stadium in December. Now, uh, this did not have a number of panels like the main show did. We had a panel that was essentially uh, a holiday gift guide live versus our upcoming movies and upcoming things like that. There were the booths. They had guests there, but the guests were generally not doing panels. They were doing autograph signings. They did that for two years, and then they adapted it and moved over to uh, one in October that was back at the convention center. The company had plans for doing shows in Las Vegas, doing shows in um, Minnesota. And it was my understanding that only, I think, the Minnesota one happened. They decided to scale it back, not do the fall shows, and just stick with the summer shows. And one of the things that I heard from a lot of people was the first year of the show, people went out because they were curious to see what it was all about. The second year was not nearly as um, well-received by people. Now, I do want to uh, clarify this. There is, at any convention, and especially this one, there's a large number of people that are just not happy. They complain about every single thing. It was, you know, we had that issue a few years back where there was a safety issue. Uh, it was very quickly and properly maintained. Uh, some people don't remember, but essentially on the preview night, there was a report of a unstable individual who had made threats against law enforcement. He was uh, arrested without incident, detained in the outer lobby of the convention center on the, that night, but he was indeed armed. Uh, the next day they instituted all sorts of uh, additional security features and people were upset because they felt the lines were too long. There were a lot of people that were kept in excessive lines. Uh, they didn't make the very early panels, that sort of thing. Things suggested they were able to adapt the year going forward. I mention that because when it came time for the uh, fall festival, I had a lot of people in the dealer room tell me, uh, you know, it's harder to move things than it is in the summertime. And the reason that we're hearing is that it's too close to the holidays. Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa uh, were coming up, so people had allocated their money. A lot of people thought, oh, they're going to come in, they're going to do their holiday shopping here, ha here we go. We also heard a lot of talk from people saying, well, um, you know, it's finals time. The kids are studying for their finals or they're concerned about them. Uh, they have holiday travel coming up. They're trying to get home. They don't have the discretionary money. And, you know, the argument behind it was, well, now that we've got this out of the way, you have a year to plan for it, adjust accordingly. And then that became another issue. We would hear people say, well, I spent too much at the summer show. I didn't have time to do this. And, you know, playing devil's advocates, you're going forward and we're looking at January. So fantastic. The weather's good. There's no excuses. People have had plenty of time to look forward to it, plan for it, budget for it. But are we going to run into scenarios of people saying, I've already spent my money on the holidays. I'm preparing to pay my taxes. Um, what's another good one? I've been out of work for a while and I'm just now getting back on my feet and I don't have the discretionary funds. So therefore, I can come and attend the convention, but I can't do the autographs. I can't do the dealer room, that sort of thing. Um, so Michael, you know, you're Justin, Joseph, either of you, do you guys see this or do you think it is much of a concern? 
Uh, well, you know, I, I think, you know, I think there's always going to be people that are going to have problems and complain. And honestly, I don't know that there's really a good, de- uh, good time to do these things because we hear about the other issue, too, with the heat, right? Mm-hmm. They're always like, oh, why do they schedule this in the end of May when it's so hot and we have, and we have our costumes and it's so hot to do it when it's cooler? You know, I, I don't think you can please everybody. And I think one of the issues, I think, with, with the, having the two shows, I mean, I went to, you know, them both years. And we enjoyed it, but I think that a lot of people felt there were not enough quality people there, not enough content there, and really it was kind of a slimmed down show with didn't have the panels so much, it didn't have the quality of guests, it didn't have as many people selling stuff, and I think a lot of people felt they were too close together. So I, I don't think that will be as much of an issue as long as they get the guests, um, the quality guests that they're you know more accustomed to seeing, and they get the interest from the vendors. Um, and are able to put on a full show and make it feel like a full show, I, I don't think that'll be as much of an issue. But yeah, I think no matter what, you can't please everybody, and there's really no time um, that you can. So I think you just gotta have to pick a date. And maybe the idea will be, depending on how January goes, maybe they're gonna go to have an additional May show, a, a smaller, slimmed down version, but then go back to a May time frame going forward, right? Maybe this is just a transitional thing because they don't wanna wait till the next May. Maybe they'll do a really small May event um, just to kind of get people back on track so they don't feel like it's another year and a half till the next one, and then you know go back to their regular scheduled program. And uh, Justin or uh, Michael or Joseph, uh, anybody else have anything else they wanted to say on this? No, I think Michael just about nailed it. There's just no perfect time, so you just really just have to pick a date and just make sure you communicate it to everybody. Yeah, and I think, again, you come down to the situation of you have the time to plan for it, so that is a good thing. And secondly, in February, they have a big advantage, excuse me, January, in the fact that you are not going to have as many conventions to fight with. Traditionally, you've got CES, you've got PAX South. Well, these are not shows that are going to have a multitude of multimedia guests. Now, one thing that they do need to keep an eye out on is traditionally Ace Comic Con has done a show in January, usually right around the same weekend as CES, but it's a different thing. They tend to have very high frontline stars who are charging premium prices uh, for autographs. I believe they start at like $150 up and stuff like that. So there should be a abundant uh, number of celebrities available, and I think that'll be the key. I think the fact that they've made the announcement now saying, essentially, hey, we're not happening this summer. You kind of expected that. Here's the date. Start planning ahead. Start saving your money, and we're going to go and do what we do best, and that is start negotiating and concentrating. I think what I am going to be really curious about, there were people the other day uh, saying that they were trying to get on the site and they weren't able to do so. And I thought, okay, you know, no big deal. January 14th through 16th is still a ways off. And I think what I am going to be really, really curious to see is, A, how soon do they start selling tickets? How soon do guest announcements start coming? And are people going to jump in immediately and start buying the tickets? Or are you going to see a uh, wait-see attitude where people say, you know what, I'm going to wait until... 
Thanksgiving or Halloween or somewhere like that before I jump in when I see a essentially I think one of the best things for them will be when other conventions are happening around the country um, are they going to jump in and get uh, get moving because the whole thing about tickets is going to be very interesting as as well they mentioned on their page that passes and exhibitor artist space already purchased for 2020 or 2021 is going to be automatically rolled over uh, full event or vip passes that uh, again have been purchased are being rolled over so they've already got a sizable number of tickets already uh, committed to and stuff like that so it'll be very interesting and then of course you know we have to play that other game are they going to run into a situation where they say, okay, you can have the convention, but you can't have more than 50,000 people. And then you run into that whole mess of, well, you don't want to turn people away, but do you have to essentially say you guys can have Tuesday? I mean, you guys can have Friday, you can have Saturday, you could have Sunday or whatever. That's a question for another day, but at least something uh, clear is, uh, has emerged from that. The final thing that I wanted to discuss today really quick is that there is news that a Terminator anime series is in production that will be available on streaming services. Uh, just go down the line. We'll start with uh, Justin. What do you think about it and concerns or? Um, so my concerns are that I haven't really, I'll just be completely blunt, blunt honest. I haven't really enjoyed anything uh, Terminator related since Terminator 2. Uh, I think that the franchise has sort of been spent for a long time um, and that it's just really hard to get anything out of that anymore. Um, you know, I, I do think that it always had some potential uh, with like some of the future stuff, but you know, even then, like we had a whole movie about that and that movie was, you know, it was what it was. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe check it out. You know, um, if it's good, it's good. You know, it really depends on who's making it. And, um, you know, maybe they'll, this will be like the, the one that kind of turns the, turns the page on, on Terminator. Yep. And, uh, Michael, your take. Yeah. So, and I agree. I mean, the Terminator franchise, you think it's such a simple formula, you know, we've talked about that with other franchises as well. Alien being another one. Where you th or Predator, for that matter, where the, the formula seems simple enough that it would be hard to make a bad movie based on the formula or video game or whatever, and yet we continue to be surprised every time. So uh, I agree. What I will say is some of the anime series, um, not obviously done by the same people, but things like uh, Voltron, the new Voltron, the new um, Castlevania anime series, have been really well received and really well done. Um, so the, the question will be, how does the Terminator adapt to that type of style and and depending on how the story is done we might be surprised again it, i've we tend to see for some reason or another that sometimes the animated films uh dc we'll talk about them specifically tend to be much better written much better received than the live action versions um, and maybe we'll see the same thing with terminator maybe what we can see from this is a way to rejuvenate the series maybe get some new ideas out there floating around and maybe find a way to you know for them to find their way back from a live action perspective so yeah i'm i'm excited to see what they do with it how it turns out um and see if that maybe is a formula that works for them and to joseph you get the final word on this yeah you know 
I didn't mind the last Terminator movie, but the one before that definitely wasn't great. I think this might be a good move for the franchise personally, though. I think going into a new medium, exploring a new way to do things and present things um, is going to be beneficial. And especially in in the world of anime where you're not limited by what you can do physically. um, I think this we might actually see this do really well. And like you had mentioned before, I mean, we've seen Voltron. We've seen other things coming out that have hit this new anime market and they're actually coming out really well received, really well done, getting multiple seasons and things like that. So maybe this right here is what the franchise needs to get back into the limelight, you know, and get everybody looking at it good again. The only thing is, is maybe that's where they stay. Maybe, maybe the Terminator movies are done for now and we don't need any other new ones. We can stay in in the realm of, anime possibly tv shows although we all saw how the sarah connor uh, connor chronicles did um but it's i think that tv shows are in a different place than they are now back than they were back then in terms of just overall production quality and and everything like that and to be honest with the pandemic and everything i know that the movies are starting to come back but i think tv is still the way it's going to be for the next couple of years i mean look at how well things like the mandalorian or wandavision are doing um maybe that's the route that they go after they get the interest back into um the terminator franchise yeah absolutely i was just thinking just look how well uh animation did for star wars i mean the the clone wars and um rebels did fantastic for you know revitalizing uh elements of the franchise and also letting people know that uh you know what, there is an audience to do these shows on television, so we shall see. And that Mm -hmm. is going to do it for us this week, everybody. Have a very safe week ahead. Take care, and until next week, we'll talk to you then.